0: I hope you're getting ready, preparing for the Christmas season. I love Christmas time. It's one of my favorite times of the year. I love everything about it. The, the food. I love the food. Who doesn't love the food? Come on, man. You get those grandma cookies or desserts or whatever you got. Your tradition is. You're going to get to hang out with some family. Some of you look forward to that, some of you don't. You're going to get to have the best part the presents under the tree. Can you remember as a kid, I know for some of us that's a while ago, but can you remember as a kid, like the best Christmas you ever had? I remember um, in 1989, uh uh-huh, come on now, (laughs) I wanted one thing for Christmas, a 1989 upper deck baseball card set. It was the first upper deck baseball card set ever printed, and it had the, uh, the, the legendary Craig, Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card. Come on, baby. Who would love that? And I waited for two people. I waited for that all Christmas uh, morning and, and Christmas Eve night, and I never got it. And then my parents pulled this thing out from behind the tree, and they gave me this wrapped present that was clearly a baseball card set, and I opened it up, and it was It was it now I wish I had just left it mint in the box but I didn't I opened it all up and probably lost some of the cards but, but I always remember that christmas it was amazing you can you remember maybe one of your favorite christmases what that feeling was like in the home with family remember as a child how much you looked forward to that the hope that christmas brought every single year to you I want to talk about that feeling, that experience of Christmas, when you think of we entitled this teaching series "Home for Christmas," because maybe you think of that type of experience. Maybe you don't. I find it interesting. Pastor Darren did a fabulous job last week talking about the very first Christmas wasn't exactly the home for Christmas experience you were desiring. This bundle of joy turned into you traveling as a pregnant teenager on a donkey to another town because there was a census taken by some Roman ruler that you have to obey. And there you give birth in a barn with animals around to your child. Now, I know in 21st century American Hamilton County culture, some of you could not handle that. Think about it. There was no clean water. There was no... Uh, gifts waiting on the Christmas tree that like you were desiring. You're giving birth in a stable with the horses. You don't even have mosquito repellent, man. Come on. You wouldn't survive. And yet this teenage woman and her husband that chose not to leave her end up get to getting to experience one of the most memorable things in human history, the birth of Jesus the Messiah into the world. Here's what I want you to remember. When we think about home for Christmas and that whole feeling and nostalgic experience you've had, we got piano in the lobby and it's beautiful and it's gonna be an elegant time this whole Christmas season. But being home this Christmas is more than a a roof over your head or even the family you're gonna hang out with. If you look at the New Testament, home is wherever God is at. That no matter what circumstances you're facing, that you know you're going to be okay if you're home with Christ. That's at the heart of it. One of the primary messages of Christmas is that despite your circumstances, despite your circumstances, there is hope. Now, man, I'm going to be honest with you. I hear a word like hope, and growing up as a kid, like that didn't really mean anything to me. And you don't really know what hope is until you don't have any many people you can probably hear and right in the middle of going through despair in your life maybe and this message may be for you some of you you haven't experienced that yet and maybe you will understand what it truly means to desire and have hope in your life when jesus was born into the world and we declare that he's emmanuel god with us that he uh, One day we go and live 33 years on this planet and be crucified on the cross, go into the grave for three days, raise on the third day, overcome death itself, that God could actually be with us no matter what our circumstances were. We were going to be all right, and that feeling of home and stability, we could experience it. That's at the heart of the Christmas message and what I truly want to recapture here together. I I want to share just a quick little Bible study before we get into Isaiah chapter 40 and tell you why we're going to look at Isaiah chapter 40. You see, my brain goes to this. How did this teenage girl who was pregnant, impregnated by the Holy Spirit, go to this other place where she doesn't know anybody and give birth in a barn and be okay with the whole thing? Ever thought about that? I think she understood what it was like to have a relationship with God that brought hope no matter what your circumstances were. That God wanted to demonstrate to us in scripture through the Christmas story that he had been thinking about this a really long time. We know from John chapter 1 it says in the beginning was the word and the word was God and the word was with God in the beginning. That Jesus, God incarnate, the word was with God in the beginning. There was not a time when Jesus was not, theologians say. In other words, he was there during the creation of the world. He was there during the rebellion of humankind, and he had waited until this moment in history to step in. And just to demonstrate to you, we actually begin the Gospel of Matthew in the New Testament with a little genealogy that can demonstrate to you God's greater plan and significance. Let me show it to you. Matthew chapter 1. It'll be on your screen. You don't need to turn there in your Bible. It says this. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of of Abraham. First of all, two things. How many of you, when you read in the Bible, in the Old or New Testament, you read a genealogy, you just skip right over that part, baby. Come on, be honest. You all do it. You skip right over it and you go, why do I even need to read this? I love the genealogy in the Gospel of Matthew. The first 16 verses give the lineage of Joseph uh, who will be Jesus' father, and why he was born into the family where Joseph would be the father. It says that the, Jesus was the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Don't you find it interesting that Abraham, he was like Father Abraham, right? He had many sons, many sons have father. Why, why did they mention him first? Why did they mention David? You see, he's going to mention that he was the son of David Because I'll show you in a moment, they had been waiting on the Messiah of the line of David. And so it mentions Abraham then. The next 16 verses will demonstrate each generation. There will be 14 generations. Get this, this is how the math works. 14 generations from Abraham until David. 14 generations exactly from David until the exile to Babylon. And then exactly 14 generations from the exile until Jesus. It says it right here in verse 17 of Matthew chapter 1. Thus there were 14 generations in all. From David to Abraham. 14 from David to the exile in Babylon. And 14 from the exile to the Messiah. Almost as if God, for 700 years, since the prophecy of Isaiah, they had waited and just timed it out perfectly that this would be the time so that you would know God knew what he was doing. You don't believe me? Look at Isaiah chapter 11 really quickly. It says this, Isaiah chapter 11, verse one. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. Who in the world's Jesse? This isn't like a full house Uncle Jesse. This is like... Jesse, the dad of David. In verse six in the genealogy of Matthew in chapter one, it will say that Jesse is David's father. The stump of Jesse is because David's kingship will be gone. And once the exile happens, why it mentions it in the genealogy is that they will no longer have their king. They will no longer have their land and everybody will be crying out, where are you God? And he said, for 700 years, I prophetically used the prophet Isaiah to tell you I'm coming I'm going to fulfill it through the line of Jesse. Matthew chapter 1 begins by declaring, "Look at this, 14 generations, 14 generations, 14 generations. I knew what I was doing. I've been waiting for this moment of time. I have heard your cries." Maybe some of you today you need to recapture some hope this Christmas. And so I want to ask you this big question. This isn't for the person next to you. This is for you. Do you have hope this Christmas? Hope this Christmas. You remember when you were a kid, on Christmas Day at home, total stability, everything seemed amazing. You knew everything was going to be okay. That's the feeling what it's like walking with Jesus Christ in your life on a daily basis. And I'm not just talking to those who are in the room right now who are searching out their faith. You may be atheist or agnostic and you came into a place like this, it's your first time ever. We believe nobody's too far from God to experience life change through Jesus. That the church should be a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. And so we thank you, we started this church for you, and we can't wait to see what God wants to do. But this isn't just for those who are searching out the faith. Some of you, you have been Christians for decades upon decades upon decades, and you have lost the hope that God will actually show up. And you've moved into survival mode. And I want to talk about that and address it, that you could have hope that your marriage could look different this Christmas season. Some of you, you walked in here today and you think it's impossible You're just going through the motions, waiting until the kids are out of the house. I want to tell you it is possible to have the marriage you've been desiring. There is hope. Some of you walked in here today and your kids' life are such a mess you think there is no longer any hope and you've been praying like the Israelites crying out to God and you haven't seen him show up yet. I want to give you hope this Christmas. It may not be easy, it may not be perfect, but when you have God in the midst, no matter what your circumstances, you have that feeling of home because you're in the center of God's will. That's my desire for us this morning as we recapture hope that we can improve and see God show up in powerful ways in some of us. This Christmas season, God is calling you to actually begin to live on mission with him. Bring hope to others. Right now, I'm going to tell you, if you haven't registered for our Christmas Eve services on the app, you need to do it. The services are filling up. There are going to be at least a couple of them that we will run out of spots. Do it. Send it to your family and your friends. Invite them to do it. You can do it from the app. You can do it online. It's on our Facebook page. I believe it's also on our website. Do it and bring hope this Christmas to somebody who needs it. We pray with me, and then we'll dive into Isaiah 40. God, I thank you for every person here that took time out of their busy weekend with all the Christmas parties and celebrations going on just to make the main thing, the main thing, to come and worship you and hear from you and your word. So we pause in the busyness of the season. We acknowledge your presence in the room with us right now where two or more are gathered. God, wherever we're at spiritually, we pray that you would speak to us, renew our hope today. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's family said, amen amen you want to know the worst part about the christmas presents i know i mentioned i love the christmas presents i love everything about it i love christmas except for one thing in particular and you may know what the worst thing in the world is but i'm going to correct you and tell you what the correct answer is to the worst part of christmas presents the worst part of kids christmas presents are clearly the batteries man come on who's with me the batteries it's the worst part about christmas you get those things, and you buy the toy that costs you like 75 or $100, and then you open it up, and the kid's ready to play with it, and what always happens? You didn't have any batteries. Those were sold separately. And then you go, you buy the batteries, and you put them in the toy, and that lasts literally hours. And then the kid is coming back to you and saying, the batteries are dead, and you're, like, recharging them, you can't, you're always trying to change the batteries. And eventually, the kid's just like, the batteries don't work. I'm going to toss the toy away because I'm American, Right? That's what we do. And yet, uh, you know, we talk about it kids. It's not like we're that different. My, my wife, this is a true story. Uh, real quick, my wife, uh, a, a few years ago, we, at our refrigerator, it was a little old, and she opened the refrigerator door, and the light was out. And so she knew that the electrical system in the refrigerator was broken, and that we needed a new refrigerator. <laughs> See, some of you aren't going with this. Like, She told me, Josh, we gotta get a new refrigerator. I said, we don't have money for a new refrigerator. We need it, all our food's gonna spoil, we have to get a new refrigerator. So I'm rushing home, I'm calling people on the phone, I open the fridge, right, the light is out, we need a new refrigerator, what are we gonna do? And then I did something I should've started with. I opened the refrigerator, you know what's about to happen, and I stuck my hand in the freezer. And it was ice cold. And we were about to throw out our entire refrigerator, spend $1,000 because the light bulb had burned out in the fridge. See, I, when I think of that story, I was like, man, we almost lost out a lot of money for a really silly reason. I find that for a lot of us in our walk with Christ, if you're here and you're a Christian, over time, your spiritual batteries get a little drained. And they wear down. I want to share some news for uh, some of you in the room that maybe are are younger generations. I know I'm not that old yet, but I want to tell you one of the things I see in working with people who are older than me, having hope in our lives, having a a fully charged spiritual battery, it actually doesn't always get easier as you get older. Sometimes it actually gets harder because you start seeing family members, your grandmother and your parents pass away. And you pray for your, your friends or your loved ones, or your brothers or sisters who are in the hospital, and sometimes they get healed and sometimes they don't. And then you've got your, your friend's kid who's this cute little three-year-old toddler that's so much fun and brought so much joy to the world, and at 18 years old, they're addicted to heroin and their friends are dying. It's hard to have hope sometimes in this life. And as we age, sometimes we see more pain and suffering. And if we're not too careful, we become that upset, cranky, angry old person that no longer sees the joy of life. Now, look, I'm not a psychologist and I'm not here to teach you how to overcome all of the depression in your life. I believe in seeking wise Christian counsel and spiritual advisors. And sometimes there are things physically going on with our body that can be helped through therapy or through medication. But what I want to share with you is, That part of the Christmas story is reclaiming the hope that God brought to the world that the Israelites for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years have been crying out for help. And even before that, since the beginning of the rebellion of humankind that began with Adam and Eve, humanity has separated ourselves from God. And when Jesus is born into the world, he comes to set the world right as it should be. Do you know what the rest of Isaiah chapter 11 that I read about the branch of Jesse from the line of, of David was about? It was about how the wolf will lie down with the lamb, that the infant will be able to play next to the cobra's hole. It's a description of heaven and what it's going to be like when Jesus returns and we spend eternity in perfect relationship with God, with others, and with creation itself that there will be no more pain and suffering. When Jesus was born into the world, it was to remind us of what that life is going to be like and to set the world right. And it also means that this side of heaven, that the spirit of God, we believe as Christians, resides in those who know Jesus as their Lord, that your body is now a temple of the Holy Spirit, not a building, that right now in this room, God is with us. And we need to reclaim some of that spiritual hope that maybe you once had. I told you Isaiah chapter 40. Here we go. You're ready to study God's word, church. Beginning in verse 3, it says this. I love this passage. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. We often know that's a prophetic message talking about the coming of John the Baptist, paving the way for Jesus' ministry. But we forget the bigger picture of what's occurring. Verse 4. Every valley shall be raised up. Every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level and rugged places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed. And all the people will see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. It says this, in life where there are valleys and there are hills or mountains, when God shows up, he levels the mountains and he raises the valleys. That no matter what you're facing in your life, when God shows up, he can level everything. He created the universe in six days and took the seventh one off just to show off. That's the God that he is. It goes on in verse 25 in Isaiah 40, and it says, To whom will you compare me, God says, or who is my equal? To whom will you compare me, or who is my equal, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens who created all these. He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls forth each of them by name, because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing Why do you complain, Jacob? Why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord? My cause is disregarded by my God. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary. I know today some of you need to hear this. He will not grow tired or weary and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary and even young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength they will soar on wings like eagles like eagles yo, like eagles yo. come on now remember the titans anybody out there with me it says you're gonna fly on wings like eagles they will run and not grow weary they will walk and not be faint I don't know about you But for many of us in our society today, what I often witness is not people flying on wings like eagles and experiencing this exciting journey of following God in their life. They experience the the wandering and the faintness that it described there. I don't know where you're at this Christmas season, but I want to ask us as a church that we might recharge our spiritual batteries this Christmas. And invite God in and have the greatest Christmas we have ever had. A homecoming for hundreds of people to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. That we had one person at the last service begin to surrender their life to Jesus. And I don't know what will happen throughout the next several weeks. But I know that if we believe God is who he says he is, anything is possible. So if you're taking notes, I'm going to move quickly. Stay with me. We're going to drink from the fire hose for a second. A little teaching. The first one I want to make from Isaiah 40, 25, and 26 is to remember who God is. Some of us need to do this. It said in verse 25, who are you going to compare God to? Are you his equal? See, I don't know about you. When it talks about trying to, I can't fathom God's understanding. I'm like, I can understand things. I got pretty much figured out what he needs to do and what he should not do in my life. And yet, I don't realize it, but like I was thinking about an analogy. You know, it's kind of like me playing basketball against Michael Jordan. It's not really a competition or on the same, play, or even better yet, uh, it's like Albert Einstein trying to communicate to a one-celled paramecium. Any Hook fans out there? Come on. That that's what it's like. You can't compare to what God can understand, what he can fathom. And for many of us, we spend much of our life trying to convince God of what he needs to do rather than allowing him to lead us. Remember who he is, that anything is possible. He created the universe in six days. I love verses 27 and 28. Because it says this, and some of us need to hear this, verse 27 in Isaiah 40 says, Why do you complain, Jacob? Why do you complain? Why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord? My cause is disregarded by my God. You see, the Israelites, they had cried out and said, Hey, why are you allowing the Assyrians to evade the northern kingdom and eventually the Babylonians to come in from the east? Why are you allowing us to be robbed of our land? Our kingship lost Stump of Jesse. Like, when is that going to happen? Where are you at, God? See, I find it significant that they actually knew to cry out and question him, and he would actually respond. He responds in verse 28 by saying, Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the end of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary. Some of you feel like God has grown tired and weary of your problems and your issues. And you couldn't possibly go back to Him again with the problems in your marriage. And you can't talk to anybody about that because it's just a mess. So just deal with it. He doesn't grow tired and weary. Now we can't even fathom his understanding, verse 28 says. I think it's an important lesson for each of us that throughout the Old Testament, you see the Hebrew people understood what a lament was. You know what the word lament is? It means to cry out. To God. In fact, there's a whole book in the Old Testament called Lamentations. It's a poetic book that has 22 chapters because it begins with the first. There are 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet for the Bible scholars out there, and each chapter begins with a different letter from the Hebrew alphabet. And the whole book demonstrates that the Israelites knew how to cry out and lament to God. Do you know how to do that? See, one of the first things if you want to recharge your spiritual batteries is to be honest about what's going on in your life. Stop cutting God out of the pain. Bring it to him. He can handle it. The Israelites understood that, and God will respond to their cries. The second thing that you can do to recharge your spiritual batteries after you remember who God is is to acknowledge that we all, not just some, we all at times can lose hope. The disciples did. Thomas had to stick his finger in the holes in Jesus' hands and in his side just to believe him, and he had thought that Thomas will take the gospel to what is today India. What could he do with you? It's okay to cry out to him, acknowledge that we all at times can lose hope. Verse 29 to 31, though, says this. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. If You have to cry out to him. You have to acknowledge that you have actually lost hope. Even youths grow tired and weary, and even young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. Some of us, we need our, our strength renewed. Because something happened along the way where we just got into survival mode. You accepted Jesus. You knew about his being born into the world. He brought hope. Big deal. He he was crucified, rose on the third day. I give my life to him. I'm going to heaven, baby. And then we all of a sudden got into the survival mode where we just go into work every day with this grumpy face. I won't say what I'm really thinking uh, on our face. And we're like mad at everybody. We don't want to talk to our coworkers. And and we, we go into our marriage, we just always feel like we're going to have the same problems. We can't fix it. It's just always going to be like this. I got to figure out how to pay the mortgage, and I got to do this, and I just got to get through life. And then you get through life, and you look back and go, man, what if I actually believed God could have done something incredible in my life? What if I had had enough hope that He could renew my strength to do something that made an impact for all of eternity? We all lose hope. It's those who acknowledge it that can actually do something with it. This literally happened to me this week, and I asked my wife if it was okay to share this. Um, on Friday, uh, we had a lot of plans on Friday night, and we had to change some of them. We, uh, we found out that my, my, my brother, who's a year and a half older, and we've been close. He lives in Southern California, that his, his wife had a really difficult time with their second um, birth of their second son. And they weren't sure if she was going to make it through the night. I mean, how many people in our culture today say that, that, that never happens today, right? And yet they literally weren't sure. They had to do some emergency surgeries, and it was looking bad. And we got our whole family and our kids, and we got down on our knees, and we just began praying for Aunt Sereka, man. And we just prayed big prayers and said, God, heal her body. And afterwards... We just restored my hope. And I went over and I was talking to my wife, Lisa, and you guys know our story. Um, you know that we lost a son uh, about six or seven years ago when we were planting the church. And you may not know this. We had also been through a really scary birth of our first son, Jake. My wife almost died giving birth to Jake. She was in the ICU for a night because she had a hemorrhage from from the birth. And so we were there praying and remembering all this stuff in our lives and my wife turned to me and she said, you know, I know in scripture that we should pray for healing and believe that God's gonna show up but I gotta be honest with you, it didn't happen for our son, Jackson and so I have a lot of difficulty praying those prayers. You may not have that experience but you've been there in some ways. And what happens over time is, the reality is, unless you're like two people in Scripture, Elijah being one of them, we're all going to face death at some time. And as we age, we begin to see people that we really cared and loved about who were taken from us, sometimes too early. And sometimes we have difficulty making sense of it. And nobody gives birth to a child and says, man, one day when you're in your early 20s, I really hope you get addicted to heroin. But it's happening all throughout our state. It's so easy to lose hope. And we just begin to treat each other in a way that just is like I'm gonna get mine because that's I just gotta get through this life. You get yours, and whoever I hurt, I don't care because there's no meaning to this life. And before you know, we're all living as nihilists today. Nietzsche would love it, baby. But the reality is, Jesus tells us in Scripture that we do have hope, and it doesn't have to be that way. Because the God that created the universe in six days, He rose from the grave on the third day, planned for seven centuries to break into the world at such a time as this. He. Gave gave you 14 generations, 14 generations, 14 generations, so he knew what he was doing, so you could trust him with your life and whatever that you're facing. And so if you've lost hope, I want to give you uh, really quickly here, Ray Johnston has a few ways maybe to reclaim hope in your life. Recharge your spiritual batteries, and I don't have time to go into depth with these, but if you want to write them down, one, invest in your own spiritual growth. If you don't start doing that, acknowledge what's going on and begin to invest in your spiritual growth. It's probably not going to happen. You're going to walk around always feeling like there is no hope. Whenever I've done something that I really saw God show up, whether it was planting a church or starting new ministries or the Multiply Indiana stuff, it was only because I actually was taking time to go, okay, God, what do you want? Because too often I can't speak for you. I don't do that. And you have to be growing spiritually in order to see God speak to you and show up in your life. Maybe that's you to invest in your own spiritual growth. Or number two, uh, don't underestimate the power of worship. When we come together to worship and we sing songs to him, and as we close in these couple of songs in a moment, if we just focus our attention on him, it's amazing sometimes how much we actually benefit in the process. In fact, here's some ways that you benefit. We renew our strength. We reconnect with God. We restore our perspective. We rebuild our confidence in him. We restore our joy. We release our anxieties, and we rekindle our hope. One of the things I love about our church is we want to reach anybody anywhere, including our online campus right now. And I hope if you can't make it physically here to the building to worship God, that you're worshiping him in your home as we put the words on the screen because that's how we restore our spiritual vitality. Number three, that you would unleash the Bible into your life. I I love this. I don't know if you know this, but the reveal study that was done of churches across the country a number of years ago, it said that the Bible is the most powerful catalyst for spiritual growth. The Bible's power to advance spiritual growth is unrivaled by anything. Reflection on scripture is by far the most influential spiritual practice. After studying over a thousand churches, it was the number one indicator that there would be a church that actually lived to follow Jesus and wanted to lead other people to him. Some of us, we need to unleash the scriptures into our life so that we could be recharged and have hope this Christmas. And then finally, this might be the most important one, refuse to go it alone. Refuse to go it alone. I meet so many people who have a relationship with Jesus and spend their whole life going it alone. And we miss out. On the community, it's not easy, but we miss out on the community of not having to go through life alone. God is with us and he brings other people along to share life with us. Maybe it's to join an outpost in the new year or sign up for Rooted at the end of January. Maybe you're going to begin to invest in community. But we have to acknowledge that we all lose hope. And those are some ways maybe you can recharge your spiritual batteries, batteries. But the final thing is this. We can do all those things. But if we don't see Isaiah 40, 31 occur, we're going to miss out on the bigger dream, that you might learn to fly again. You might learn to fly. Now, I'm a product of the 80s. I kind of showed that today. You remember, I mentioned like Michael Jordan, what it would be like to play basketball. You remember his, uh, his video, his VHS, Come Fly With Me, Baby?, Come on now, anybody out there? I want to invite you, come fly with me this Christmas season that you might learn how to fly again. Isaiah 40, 31 said, they will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. That you can't go through life with enough hope that you could experience the joy and the beauty of loving to serve God with your entire life and seeing him show up. That you can wake up and go into work and say, okay, God, what do you want to do with me today in work? I get rid of the grumpy face, man. I'm going to be hanging out at the cooler just smiling. Everybody's going, go, what's wrong with you? Say, I just have joy this Christmas season, baby, because I've reclaimed the hope that Jesus brought with his birth into the world. i With soaring wings like eagles. You see, the thing about flying, though, is it's not all just about flapping the wings, is it? You have to catch the wind wherever it takes you. And the reality is for some of us, we spend a whole lot of time trying to make some things happen rather than, rather than allowing God to direct our steps. We cannot fathom his understanding. Isaiah chapter 40 said, That we could remember that he is the one that helps us fly to experience the life that he desires for us. I think it's no mistake in the New Testament when Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 actually describes faith. If you have faith, it describes it as this. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Confidence that what it described in Isaiah 11 of what heaven is going to be like that it was brought through the Messiah Jesus, born into the world of 14 generations upon 14 generations upon 14 generations, that the God who created the universe and everything in it can carry you through whatever circumstances you're facing, that home is wherever God is at work in your life. So if you're here today, and you're like, you don't understand how big a mess my life is, how big a mess my marriage is, nothing is ever going to change. The message of Christmas is that through hope in Jesus Christ is not going to be easy, but it can. We have literally seen people, guys, who were dead set on filing for divorce and traveling uh, you know, separately, go to crisis marriage counseling sessions and come back and eventually decide to stay married and now have fabulous marriages it's not easy, it's actually really hard, but it's possible if you have hope in your life. It's possible if you have hope in your life this Christmas to actually see, think of the neighbor or coworker or family member or friend that you're like, there is no possible way this person could ever surrender their life to God and become the person God created them to be. not. It is not possible. The, the joy and the hope of Christmas is it is possible. It is possible. Who are you comparing God to? You think he can't handle that? And here's the scary stuff. It even means when you're praying for your family members and your friends and your people hurting and the people in hospitals this Christmas season that you can have hope that even no matter what God does and no matter how he answers your big prayers, that he's gonna be with you in any circumstance and you're gonna be okay. And I know this with, as an absolute fact that you can be in a hospital room knowing your child is going to die completely distraught and wanna give up on life and know that God is right beside you and you're gonna be okay. You're going to be okay if you're honest about it and you begin the process of surrendering it to him.